Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all here. Special welcome to visitors. It's great to have you join us today. My name is Warren Wright, and I'm a leader here at GFC. And as always, it's a privilege to open God's Word with you. In order to participate fully, there are a few things you will need. You will need a Bible, a pen, and an outline. Outlines should have been handed to you or perhaps on your seats. If you need any of them, please raise your hands, and back here at the back will get one or all of them to you. Okay, also we have childcare available behind this wall, so if you go out the back door, make a few lefts, there's a room where someone will look after your children if you need that service, but we are happy to have them with us, and in that, at the back over there, is a room for mothers and babies if you need to use that. All right, while everyone's getting Bibles, pens, and outlines, all right, let's begin. As a church, we've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're at a point in Ecclesiastes where the author has already talked about how life is vain, and we've talked about that, and now he's applying this idea of vanity to various aspects of life, various topics, and he's giving us some wisdom along the way. Today, we will be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 11, and we'll go through to 10, verses 15, which is on page 359 of the Church Bible, if you've got one of those. And from this text, we will be talking about wisdom why it works, why it doesn't, and how we should respond to wisdom's successes and failures. But right at the beginning, I should give you a definition of wisdom. So one theologian defined wisdom as, and uh, this is a long dead theologian, he said that wisdom is the art of reaching one's end by the use of right means. The art of reaching one's end by the use of right means. And by right means, as a theologian, I'm sure he meant God-honoring means. Uh, Dictionary.com says that wisdom is the knowledge of what is true and right, coupled with just judgment as to action. Well, that's a great thing, isn't it? Do you want to succeed at what you do? Do you want truth? Or do you want failure, lies, foolish actions that lead to great injustice? This is kind of an obvious choice, isn't it? Well, do you want success in life? Wisdom is what will help you succeed. So just get wisdom and say goodbye to all failure and disappointment. There's got to be a catch, right? It can't, that's too good to be true. Can't be that easy. And we will see from our text why our wisdom is not perfect and why it will fail us. The best wisdom in the world doesn't always work. And based upon that, the main point of today's sermon, and indeed it's on the top of your outline, it's the title of the sermon, and it is that our wisdom is faulty, but it is still better than folly. And it rhymes. The outline for today's sermon is the same. We'll be looking at it in two points. We'll look at why wisdom is faulty, and we'll look at why it's still better, and then we will apply it in a few ways. All right, let's pray, and then we can dive into this text. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word that that lights our path, that gives us a way to walk, that gives us a way to understand how the world works, how you've created it, how to deal with vanity. Lord, we pray that you will open our hearts and open our ears, that we might hear your word today, and that it might change us, that we might learn uh, where to place our trust, we might learn the value of wisdom, or we might learn the even surpassing value of Christ. Help me to preach these words faithfully. For this is your work, Lord, and I am just a vehicle. Your word is what changes our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn with me 
in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 11. And again, that's on page 359. All right, let us begin. 9.11 Again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge. But time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time, when it suddenly falls upon them. I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves and horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt, and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. There is a lot going on in these words here. And let's consider it one section at a time. And let's start with wisdom is faulty, which is point one on your outline. And we will find in this text reasons why our wisdom is faulty. And for those of you who like to follow along the text, I will give verse outlines, but we won't be going exactly verse by verse. I'll jump around a little, but I'll tell you where we are. So 1.1 on your outline. The first reason why wisdom is faulty is that we are not in control of everything. Big surprise. Look at uh, verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, where it talks about the best wisdom, strength, Knowledge, speed, intelligence can't guarantee success. Think about that. Wisdom, strength, knowledge, speed, intelligence, those sound like superpowers, right? Even the superheroes can't guarantee success. Verse 11 says, time and chance happen to all. And just to avoid confusion, when Solomon talks about chance, he's not talking about random, meaningless events. 
He has already established that God is in control of everything. And that's when Solomon talks about chance, he more means things that seem random to us. They're not fundamentally random. They are part of God's plan. Time and chance happen to all. Things like an Olympic champion who loses a race because he pulled the muscle getting out of bed in the morning. Or say you've been practicing to play music in a concert. You've been working really hard for it. But you have to miss it because you caught a cold. The simple point is that no matter how good you are, success is not guaranteed because we are not in control of everything. But if I told you that you were not in control of anything, that nothing you do matters, then we have a problem. Because, well, firstly, that's not our experience. Here's a simple example. You chose what you wore today. If you decided to wear shorts and a t-shirt, you'd be mightily out cold when you went outside. Your choice had a big impact on your comfort level. Your choice mattered. Another reason why we must abandon this idea of nothing you do matters is that Solomon, in this text, repeatedly argues that wisdom does have an effect. Remember the poor wise man who saved the city? He actually did save the city. Or the lumberjack who was better at chopping wood because he actually sharpened his axe. So we'll come back to the idea of how wisdom works in a bit. But for now, let's just reject the idea that nothing you do matters. Let us rather say that your actions have somewhat predictable results, but events can happen that you cannot predict, that you cannot overcome, and that can make your actions and your preparations and your wisdom quite useless, quite meaningless. No matter how much you know or how wise, strong, intelligent, and quick you are, you can't change the weather outside. You can't stop the moon from going around the earth. You can't eradicate poverty or disease. Our wisdom is faulty because we are not in control of everything. But what about the things we can control? Surely wisdom can give us success there. Our text is now giving give us three reasons why even when we do have control, our wisdom still fails. And we're now at point 1.2 of your outline. And this is our second reason our wisdom is faulty. And wisdom is faulty because we are sinful. Look at chapter 9, verses 18 at the end of that verse, and then also in chapter 10, verses 1. One sinner destroys much good, and a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. There's this image of a perfume. So in my life, the only perfumes I'm accustomed to is my wife wears perfumes. And uh, she has a few, and... The one that she has one that I really love. It's, it's a sort of a jasmine-scented one. And uh, whenever she wears it, I notice. And it's wonderful. It makes me smile. And that's and it's really great. How about you? Do you have a smell that you really like? Maybe it's a cheeseburger. <laughs> I don't know. But is there a smell? Can you get it in your head? Right? That makes you smile? All right. You got it? Now think of adding dead, rotting flies. <laughs> Add things that make you want to vomit. How are you feeling now? Is it appealing? Does it make you smile? The perfume is completely forgotten. In fact, you're probably feeling frustrated because of the lack of the perfume that you had, you have a memory of it, as well as being nauseated. This is what our sin does to wisdom. Our moral failures ruin our wisdom. And they had frustration because we tried wisdom and it didn't work. 
Here's an example. How many times in your life have you heard of a great Christian leader who was caught in adultery or something like that? They seemed so wise. They had followers. People wanted their wisdom. But after a little folly, maybe they're one failing. Who's going to follow them now? Now, I'm not saying that there's no way to recover from sin, but I am saying that sin creates a huge mess and it ruins much wisdom and honor. Our wisdom is faulty because we are sinful. What about you? Do you have examples in your life where your best attempts were messed up because of your sin? How about relationship? This is for anybody who loves anybody. Have you ever had a bad day and then treated your spouse poorly? Has selfishness ever inconvenienced your friends? Has your pride ever demanded that you be heard while those you love are ignored? Parents? Children? We can all agree that loving is a wise idea. And we can also agree that being nasty, selfish, and demanding is not loving. But we do it anyway because we are sinful. Our wisdom is ruined because we are sinful. Let's move on to the next reason why our wisdom is faulty. And this is 1.3 of your outline. And our wisdom is faulty because we may be under foolish authority. Let's read chapter 10, verses 5 through 7. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. In these verses, we see that those who deserve authority and power don't have it. They're in the low place. Those who don't deserve authority and power, they do have it. They're in the high place. And in verse 5, we see where it starts. It starts with foolish rulers. The point is that when you have foolish rulers, wisdom doesn't always get what it deserves. When you have foolish rulers, fools can get what the wise have earned. Now, this isn't always true. Good rulers do exist. But most, if not all of us, have experienced this folly of poor rulership. Has, have you ever had a teacher or a leader or a parent or a boss who did this, who rewarded foolishness and punished wisdom? No matter how wise you are, if you have a foolish ruler over you, your best wisdom might be of no benefit to you. And I'm not only talking about wicked rulers. Good rulers make mistakes too. They can make foolish choices. And the result is the same. Our wisdom is faulty because of foolish rulers. Just look at the poor wise man who saved the city in chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. You know, at least he was able to save the city, but he was poor, he was despised, he was unheard, and he was forgotten. This wise man should have had parades in his honor. He saved the city. But because of foolish rulers, his wisdom is unrewarded and it profited him little. Our wisdom is faulty because of foolish authority. Alright, let's look at the last reason why our wisdom is faulty. And we're on point 1.4 of the outline. And that is that wisdom is faulty because we are finite. And by finite I mean we are not able to execute our plans the way we want. Basically, we make mistakes. Look at chapter 10 verses 8 and 9. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. 
Now, I'm sure that everyone who digs a hole does not intend to fall into it. And everyone who chops wood or quarry stone isn't intending to be hurt by them. They don't want that to happen. But falling into a pit or having a tree fall on you can happen one of two ways. Right? The one way is it's totally unpredictable and it's an accident. The second way is you messed up. It was predictable. So let's think about the first way, the totally unpredictable way. There's nothing you could do about it. We've already dealt with this. Remember when I said that wisdom is faulty because we're not in control? But what about the other one where an accident happened because we messed up? You know that chopping logs is dangerous. And you try your best to avoid all the problems. But you make a mistake and you miss the log and hit your foot. Disaster. Right? Or you just step wrong and you fall into the hole you dug. Right? You didn't want to do that. Or you decide to swing the hammer one more time against the rock. Even though you know you're tired, you should probably stop. Bad judgment call. It slips. Someone gets hurt. Events that are entirely within your normal control, but you are not perfect. You make mistakes all the time. And no matter how wise you are, your wisdom is faulty because you are not perfect. You are finite. You make mistakes. Let's give some more realistic examples for us today. Say you've been studying for an exam studying really, really, really hard for an exam, and you still fail because you made some silly mistakes. Who's ever made a careless mistake in an exam? Right? I teach. I have students who make mistakes that any child who can add one plus one wouldn't make. And when the student sees that mistake, they, they blush. They, they say they would never make that mistake again. But it happens. Or how about this? How many of you have double-booked your time? These days, we have iPhones, tablets, computers... Just about everything short of getting it tattooed on our forehead. And we still double book our time. And then we have to eat humble pie and go and apologize to somebody. A simple mistake that even the best wisdom of multiple scheduling services couldn't catch. Now I'm someone who's rather meticulous in what I do. I check and recheck things pretty often. One day I was doing my laundry. And, uh, you know, you check the pockets of your, the pockets of your shorts and your trousers. And of course, everyone, does anyone know what trousers are? Anyway. So, I put my clothes in, I check the pockets, and then I take my clothes out of the washer to put them in the dryer, and I found out that I had laundered my passport. That's a big deal. I mean, this simple mistake could have meant that I couldn't travel, or if I did travel, I couldn't get back. This is thousands of dollars and months of wasted time. Simple mistake. And I did check the pockets. Praise God I didn't tumble dry my passport. <laughs> what about you? Do you see examples in your life where simple mistakes thwart your best wisdom? Our wisdom is faulty because we are not perfect. We are finite. So far, we have had a look at why our wisdom fails. Why doing the right thing doesn't always work. And our passage has given us four reasons, and I'll summarize them quickly. Our wisdom is faulty because we are not in control. Our wisdom is faulty because we are sinful. Our wisdom is faulty because we may be under foolish authority. And our wisdom is faulty because we are not perfect. We are finite. Now this actually shouldn't be surprising because in this book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is making the point, and this is the main point of the whole book, Life on earth is all about unsatisfying, endless repetition of old things that no one will remember, nothing you do will last, and at the end you die. 
and you can't fix it. And your best bet is to enjoy it, but you can't because you can't please God. And so we shouldn't be surprised when Solomon applies this idea of vanity to the topic of wisdom. Why wisdom is in the same category of all that depressingness. So we've seen how our wisdom is broken, but that's not the end of the story. Because Solomon does not conclude that because wisdom is broken, we should abandon it. No. Instead, he says that even though wisdom is broken, the alternative is even more broken. The path of wisdom is better. Let's have a look in our passage to see how the path of wisdom is better, in spite of its flaws. And we're now on point two of your outline, where wisdom is better. But, but how is wisdom better? Well, I can count at least nine reasons in our text why wisdom is better. And you only have to open up the book of Proverbs to get a very long list as to why wisdom is better. But for now, I'm just going to summarize them into two categories. Number one, wisdom gets you the good stuff. Number two, wisdom keeps away the bad stuff. Now, a quick caveat. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So anything that wisdom does will be founded upon God-honoring principles. Okay, end of caveat. Let's see what our text says. And while it would be great to study every single reason why this text says wisdom is better, I'm just going to pick out a few highlights. All right, let's talk about getting the good stuff. And we'll look at two examples. Number one, do you want people to like you? Pretty simple question. Look at chapter 10, verses 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Or do you want favor? Wisdom is the way you get it. Or would you rather be consumed? At one point in my life, I consulted to a financial institution that was part of the formation of a company that dealt in foreign exchange transactions. And right at the beginning, we had a meeting to determine who was going to own what percentage of the company. Tense meeting. Going into the meeting, I was glad I was not in charge because there were two groups who I thought were just about going to kill each other demanding their best share. But there was this one very wise man and he took, a, took it upon himself to take charge of the meeting and the skill he had with words to put these two agitated parties at ease and convince them to find common ground, it left me speechless. I remember being awestruck at how he handled these people. I knew these people. I have seen their temper tantrums. And to see how he just brought them together, we all left friendly, it was wonderful, is pretty much supernatural in my mind. I don't know how he did that. Still to this day, it was just a magic trick. His wise words won much favor. Wisdom is better than folly because it helps you win favor with others. And by folly, I just mean the opposite of wisdom, right? The lack of wisdom. All right, number two, why wisdom gets you the good stuff? Do you want to succeed at what you do and enjoy it? Look at 10 verses 10. But wisdom helps one to succeed. And look at 10 verses 15. The toil of a fool wearies him. Well, if the toil of a fool wearies him, then perhaps the toil of the, the wise is a little more enjoyable. And we also see that the, the fool doesn't know the way to the city in 10 verses 15. The wise man succeeded in saving the city. He had success. The fool can't save the city. He doesn't even know where it is. 
All right, let's talk about avoiding the bad stuff, our second reason why wisdom is better. Number one, do you love public humiliation? Look at 10 verses 3. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. He didn't try hard, he just took a stroll, and everyone knew how little sense he had. How many times in your life have you made a fool of yourself? Wisdom is better than folly because it helps you avoid public humiliation. Let's look at another one. Do you enjoy having angry bosses or a parent or teachers? How do you feel about the idea of a very angry policeman coming to arrest you? Look at chapter 10, verses 4. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. This is actually one of the very few verses that gives us a reason why wisdom works, at least in this passage. You being calm helps others be calm, even when they're angry with you. Now, it's happened a few times in my life where I've been in a car that's been pulled over by a policeman for a traffic law violation. And every time, if you calmly accept your guilt and don't make a big fuss... The policeman is inclined to be lenient. Sometimes he even lets you off with a warning. But I've seen the reverse. When you get excited and argue your innocence, then they're inclined not to be lenient. And you get the maximum fine that they can. And, you know, they make movies about people who, stay, who leave their place. Car chases don't end well for the criminals. Wisdom is better than folly because it can calm angry rulers. So we started our explorations into this passage by looking at why wisdom is faulty. And we just finished it how, we're looking at how, even though wisdom is faulty, it's still better than folly because it gets you the good stuff and keeps away the bad stuff. Let's spend a little bit of time at the end of the sermon talking about how to apply this. We're now on point three of your outline, application. And I have two applications for you. First, they're hopefully pretty obvious. Because wisdom is better, get wisdom. And... Watch your tongue. The second one is because wisdom is faulty, don't trust in it. Rather, trust in Jesus. Let's look at the first one. Because wisdom is better, get wisdom and watch your tongue. One good Bible study technique is to count the number of times a word, phrase, or idea is repeated in a passage in order to determine how important that word, phrase, or idea is to the main point of the passage. As you might expect, the words wisdom and folly and those ideas are repeated quite often. But it might surprise you that the most repeated idea is that of talking. Words like lips, heard, shout, say, mouth, talk, words, tell. It's repeated 15 times, actually. From this observation, we can see that the context in which wisdom and folly play out is in how we speak. Are you wise or are you a fool? The test is how you speak. Let me give you some specifics directly from the passage. The wise make their points quietly. Fools have to shout. The wise speak calmly in times of stress. Fools get quite worked up. The wise win friends with their words. Fools win enemies. The wise speak wisdom. Fools start with foolishness and end with madness. The wise use few words about things they know. Fools use 
many words about things they don't. This may seem very daunting because all of us are probably guilty of speaking foolishly at times. And what are we to do when we find that we lack wisdom? Simple answer is repent of your foolishness and then go find wisdom. And the best place to start is the Bible. It's full of wisdom for you. Pray to God that he might teach you wisdom through the words of the Bible. Spend some time on the second application. Because wisdom is faulty, don't trust wisdom, rather trust in Jesus. The reason Solomon has taken the time to tell us of wisdom's failings is to convince us of the vanity, the futility of depending on trusting our whole lives to wisdom. Wisdom is faulty, so don't trust your whole life to it. Wisdom is better than folly, but it still can't fix everything that is broken in this world. In one sense, this whole sermon is about a matter of definition. right? Wisdom is only faulty if you expect it to do everything for you. But if you realize that the best earthly wisdom still only gets limited results, then you can depend upon it in a limited way. Let me give you an example. Who likes coffee or tea? Do you need it in the morning? Some of you are honest. Does it make life better? Yes. Do you think of it when Solomon tells you to enjoy your drink? Now, coffee and tea are great. And honestly, they're quite necessary for some people. But nobody thinks that coffee or tea can solve the world's problems. Coffee and tea have their place, and they're wonderful in their place. But you don't, you're going to be very disappointed if you expect coffee to balance your budget. It's ludicrous. Wisdom has its place. And it's wonderful there, but it is limited. And if you expect it never to fail, then you will be quite disappointed. The best wisdom isn't to be trusted as the perfect solution to all problems. But why do we want to trust in our wisdom as the dependable solution? Well, the usual answer is actually quite simple. It's pride. We like to be able to pat ourselves in the back and admire how wonderful we are when our plans work. We don't like to be dependent on somebody else or feel like things are out of our control. Basically, we want to be God, but we are not God. We do need others, and our best wisdom cannot solve everything. So wisdom is great, but we cannot depend upon it for everything, and we shouldn't entrust our lives to it for everything because it is limited. But is there something we can entrust our lives to in a total way? Something totally dependable that will never fail? Well, let me tell you about a man called Jesus. Let me tell you why his wisdom is perfect. And look at section one as I go through this. Number one, his wisdom is perfect because he is in total control. He is God, after all. Number two, his wisdom is perfect because he is sinless. No moral failures to stink up his wisdom. Number three, his wisdom is perfect because he is not under foolish authority. His ruler is God the Father who is perfectly good. Number four, his wisdom is perfect because he is infinite. He never makes mistakes. He is God after all. Do you see how Jesus overcomes each of the reasons why our wisdom is faulty? Do you see how Jesus is the one man who could have perfect wisdom? 
Jesus is the dependable one who cannot fail. Don't trust in your wisdom, your best efforts to succeed in life or to find favor with others or to find enjoyment. Rather trust in Jesus because he is not faulty and he will never fail you. In summary, our best wisdom is faulty, but it is still better than folly. So, because wisdom is better, get wisdom and watch your tongue. Because wisdom is faulty, trust in Jesus instead. Let us pray.